0: Uh, Hi, everybody. Uh, (laughs) Hi, I'm Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. My privilege to be with you this morning. um, It is Vision Sunday, which is a, um, it's an exciting time because of uh, what's represented in this room. You know, many of us are kind of back, back to what feels a little bit more like normal life, normal rhythms, and it's an opportunity for us as a church to kind of launch into a new ministry year. So Vision Sunday always means some new things for us, especially uh, this year has been hinted at the last couple weeks with the launch of these care group things, which I'll talk a lot about. That'll be a lot of our time. This morning, we feel like it's important enough to give that two really whole weeks of focus uh, heading into this year. Uh, To stick with the... uh, pervasive football analogies. Um, And I'm a Giants fan, and they're the four o'clock game, so members mean it could be as long (laughs) as we need it to be, uh, for me. But, um, uh, Vince Lombardi, who's probably the greatest football coach ever, uh, he was a long long time Green Bay Packers coach, and won a bunch of Super Bowls, and one of the things that he was most famous for was his commitment to basics, his commitment to fundamentals. And what he would do, you've got to imagine this, a bunch of professional athletes uh, coming off of a very successful season, reporting to training camp. And on the very first day, this great coach who they'd had all this success with, who they'd been through all these things, playbooks and games and practices and all of this, he starts their very first day and he says, this gentleman is, and does anybody know what he would say? He would say, a football. And he would reintroduce them to the game. Stick with the sports analogies. Uh, John Wooden, greatest college basketball coach of all time, would, the very first thing that he would do with his top recruited athletes at UCLA, most successful college basketball program ever, he would get these big shots uh, onto campus and they would show up in their very first practice. The first thing that they would do, does anybody know, would be, they would. Anybody? Oh, that's a good, that's a good guess. Um, but he would teach them how to tie their shoes. Um, because he would say the way that your shoes go on your feet um, uh, determines a lot about, you know, injury and about, you know, calluses and all of those things. And so he would start with basics, for those of you who are maybe not as sports inclined, right? It's the musician, the world-class musician. Anybody see that fascinating Kenny G uh, documentary? Oh, there's a Kenny G documentary, y'all. And it is well worth watching, the worldwide (laughs) phenomenon that is Kenny G. And uh, I'm dead serious. It is fascinating. Look it up. Um, and he talks about that every day, uh, this, this world famous sold millions of records all over the world. Every day, he gets up, and he works on his very basic scales for about three hours a day. That's what he does, his very basic scales, the same way that you would if you were just starting out on, what's that instrument he plays? What does he play? Saxophone? It's a particular type. Soprano saxophone, there you go. Same way if you were starting out. There's Kenny G doing the same thing that you would Right? Fundamentals, um, remembering uh, the basics of what you do is important, and it's important for our community. That's the point, right? That's where I'm going with this, which is why we do Vision Sunday. We remind ourselves, so to speak, this is who God is, most fundamentally, this is who we are, and this is who we want to be as a community. And so on Vision Sunday, it is common for us to begin right here. Next slide, Pam, with uh, our name and our uh, those little icons under there. And so every community has uh, a mission. What do we exist for? And here at Jacobswell, we say that we exist primarily Um, first and foremost, of of first importance to use biblical language around it. We exist for the glory of God. We exist because there is God worthy of our entire lives, worthy of our worship, worthy of our obedience. We exist to bring him, to, to move our attention away from ourselves toward him and the attention of others away from themselves and toward God. So we exist for the glory of God, there it is. We say that we don't exist um, primarily therefore uh, for ourselves but for God's purposes in the world. And God's purpose, God is a missional God. God is going out into the world and seeking people um, quite literally, right? This is, again, biblical language that God is pursuing the good, not just of, of you and me, but the good of this entire world. And so we say that we exist also for the good of the cities around us, the friends, neighbors, families, communities around us. And the greatest good that we offer is hope through the gospel, uh, through the good news of what Jesus has done. That's what that word gospel means, the word that shows up throughout the, particularly the New Testament in the scriptures, though it's there in the Old Testament, And it speaks of the good news that God has not given up on the world that he has created. In fact, he has so not given up with it that he put his very life, his very body on the line in order to save us, in order to bring us back from ourselves, in order to undo all of the chaos and devastation and sadness and oppression and injustice and all of the things that we look around and say, this world is not the way that it's supposed to be. We have that instinct in us. That instinct is because God did not create the world in this way that it is our complicity in what's gone wrong in the world that is precisely what God wants and is saving us from. And so that is what we proclaim, nothing less than that, and nothing as central as that. Where are we headed as a church? Therefore, we say we want to be the type of community. And this comes from the story that Kushla just read for us, our Er-story, which I promise you is a word. I say that every year and people are like, that's not a thing. You are. Er-story. Er-story is the story from which you get your, your meaning, the definition of who you are. It's your foundational narrative. And for us, that's this story in John 4, this interaction that we'll look at in just a second in a bit more depth. Uh, not as much as I would love to, but a bit more depth in a second. And so in this story, there's this beautiful interaction between Jesus, the creator of the universe, the very son of God, God incarnate, God in flesh, meets this woman in the middle of, uh, or not even in the middle of, quite outside of, in the middle, if it's in the middle of anything, it's in the middle of nowhere, outside of this town at this dusty well, and he has this life-changing interaction with her. And what's fascinating about this, maybe I'll dip into that story for just a second, you might have noticed it even as Cushla read. Join me in John chapter 4 for just, just a few minutes, if you would. John chapter 4, and uh, I believe Kushla began reading at verse 5. It says, so he came to, this is Jesus, a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And what we've said many times over the years is what's especially extraordinary about this interaction. And again, in case we miss it, the writer here, John, uh, brings it out for us who might not have all of the context here that this is an unlikely, to say the least, if not fully scandalous interaction that Jesus is having here. And there is at least this many barriers that society, that culture had put up between Jesus and this woman that made this interaction exceptional. There was religious implications here. To be a woman uh, of Samaria, to to be a a citizen of Samaria, was to be someone who was seen as kind of a religious sellout, someone who had given in to the empires that had conquered the Jewish people. The Samaritans were known uh, as those who were were compromisers. Right? If you're with us this summer for this series through the churches in Revelation, these were people who compromised with the surrounding culture. So why would a Jewish prophet have anything to do with their social uh, things that men and women were not Um, to be seen in public, a single man and a single woman, especially a single religious man, a holy man, someone who is seen as a kind of prophet. So there's social things, gender things going on there. There's certainly the the ethnic implications of, that's the one that the Gospel writer particularly brings out, is that this isn't something that happens. Take away the male and female part of it. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. It's not how things were done. And then, as we find out a little bit later in the story, there's these, this moral uh, barrier between Jesus and this woman as he tells her, um, go and, and find your husband. And then they have this very interesting, a little bit a mysterious interaction where Jesus points out and he says, yeah, you've had five husbands and even the one you have now isn't yours. And if I was preaching through all of that... Um, we could go into detail about what seems to be going on there, but um, she is she is uh, either primarily um, someone who has gone and found these five men, seeking to fill herself with whatever with relationships, with romance, with uh, with the pursuit of her own pleasure, or she is someone who uh, scholars tell us there's, there's an entirely other way to understand this, where she's been a victim of being passed along unrighteously between men, whatever she is. Um, she is what we all are, which is inevitably a mixture of those who have both sinned and rebelled ourselves and those who have been sinned against and wounded by the reality of sin in this world. And yet here's Jesus alone in the middle of nowhere in this dusty place, willing to be seen with this woman. Just think of that. Come from his throne in heaven, the most unrivaled power in all of the universe comes all the way down and doesn't just come down and show up for 10 minutes and say, look, it's me, Jesus, worship me. No, he lives a life. He lives a normal life. And in the course of that life, there's moments like this where for these few minutes, just think of it, for these few minutes, this woman is alone with the creator of the universe. He has gone all the way from heaven and he has found this woman. And in spite of, and dare I say, precisely because of the barriers that were perceived to be between him and this woman, he goes to her. He pursues her. He has his sights set on her in some sense from the foundation of the world to pursue this moment of transformation with her. And so I don't think that all of what's going on here, that this woman is chosen at random. It seems like the way and the the carefulness with, with, with which this story is told suggests it was precisely because of just how much should have kept Jesus from pursuing this woman. That is precisely why he pursues her, why he sets up the circumstances such that they might have this solitary, precious, life-changing moment, life-changing encounter together. Isn't that beautiful? That's Jesus. I don't know what you pictured Jesus doing when he came here. But this is why the scene has always been so compelling to us. And so from that, to go back to that slide, that first one, that Jacob's Well one, that's why this was our name. I I just love that moment in the story where it says, and Jacob's Well was there. Because we ourselves want to be a place where people might have life-changing encounters, not with us, not with our fantastic programs not with our uh wonderfulness as a people No, no no we want to draw your attention away from us in fact and put it to the one who can actually change your life who can actually offer what jesus uniquely offers this woman which is the satisfaction at a soul level for which she has longed her entire life and for which she has wrongly searched in a thousand other places and finds out it can only be found in him. And so our vision, where we are headed as a community, is we want to be a community that is known for breaking barriers to facilitate life-changing encounters with Jesus. Or put in the simple language that we have there, breaking barriers to encounter Jesus together. That's what we're about. It's who we are. It's where we're headed. That's what we want to do. Now, Vision Sunday, right? Um... This is the kind of thing that churches put on social media, and it's like, come to Vision Sunday, Here, how awesome we are. And, uh, and we are. I think we're great. <laughs> I think we're great. I do. I think we're great. I think we're a wonderful church. I love um, the people of our church. At the same time, I think that the church can sound a note on days like this that's, that's, um, that's out of harmony with reality. And what I mean by that is, yeah, we have some new things coming up. We have some things that we think are, are going to allow you to serve and grow um, and also be served by our community that we feel like are, are really important. I also want to acknowledge, though, that we remain in a season where we are keenly aware of, the, of what's behind us. Um, we have been through personally, each individual, um, corporately, uh, as a church. We've just been through a really hard couple years. Um, amen. <laughs> right? Um, we have uh, we have experienced all of it, right? The uh, COVID, my goodness. Um, COVID and all the racial unrest and everything that churches went through in all this sort of evangelical reckoning and... Um, And uh, just not being able to meet and what that did to us and the disconnection that we experienced, right? This whole last year we talked about, we, we wanted to go from... Disconnection or reconnection. That was like our whole goal. Is like, let's not dream that we can do much beyond that. Like, we just need to know who each other are. (laughs) Because you look around the room and it's a super weird thing, especially for those of you who have been here for a while, to look around and be like, I don't know who anyone is anymore. It's a really hard thing to do. Right? Then you add to that um, different experiences represented in this room. Some of you are coming to us from churches that no longer exist um, and the heartache of that and churches that have been through all this craziness. And like, I know that that's sitting here and for me to just be like welcome you have arrived at like the best thing ever like whoa whoa, whoa. like there's hurt in this room and there's real scars in this room and um and then you get even more personal than that and uh, this is something that I'm aware of every single year, regardless of sort of what's going on out in culture. But, right, like some of you just aren't as ready to jump in and go for it. And, right, some of you are struggling just personally in marriages. Some of you have lost. We've lost as a community, right? The, the sting of, of, of losing our, our brother Mark, like that, that's, that's still a thing. That's present in this room this morning, I can tell you. It was present for me this morning, like, right? And so I just want to acknowledge that we know that that your leadership is aware of that, Um, and we want to continue to acknowledge that that barrier is real. But we want to provide opportunities for that barrier to be broken, whatever that is for you. Which, by the way, doesn't mean let's just not talk about it and act like it's not real and barrel through it. It means in the things that we're doing, let's be sure that we're providing space for that hurt and pain and loss and grief and all of these things to be acknowledged, understood, and come alongside of, with and for one another. Because if you ask me right now, sort of what's the biggest barrier that Jacob Swell is thinking about to be breaking this year such that we might encounter Jesus in life-changing ways, it's just the hurt and pain and loss of the last couple of years. That's what it is. And so for me, um, I, I just feel like as your pastor, I want you to know like, yeah, we're gonna call you to some new things. Some of you are stepping into new leadership roles that are pretty significant. Um, but we've tried to do all of that invitation into these things with a sense of, look, we know. We know that there's a, a pacing here that that is gonna be, um, that, that's gonna be different because of everything that we and that you have walked through. Here's what I love though. In this story, and Pam, would you put up those couple verses that I actually put in the presentation? So Jesus, when he when he goes to this woman, here's what he says to her. He says, "Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again." again speaking of thirst, is my little mason jar of water thing there? Nothing like preaching on the thirst. And, um, the water that. Thank you, guys. Me and Pastor Obed are dressed almost exactly the same. It's the the elder outfit. Um, Back to Jesus. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What are you laughing at? Oh my goodness, Pastor Rich has the same thing on. That's like actually uncanny. feels like God is moving in the room somehow in some weird way. Pastor Minoge is with the kids. We'll have to find out. It'll be very exciting for all of us. Um, Okay, back to Jesus. (laughs) Jesus said to everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. (laughs) Jesus is going deeper than she thinks he is, right? He's like, oh, I got the good stuff. At this time, you have to realize living water to us, we're like, clearly it's a metaphor. No, no, no. Living water would have been like running water, like spring water, like we think of, like Poland spring, right? He's like, I got access to the good stuff. You want that, not well water. And she says, oh, give me access to that. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking a level deeper because here's who he's talking to. He's talking to a woman who is thirsty at a much deeper level than physically. And again, whether it's because of primarily her own sin, whether it's the ways that she's been sinned against, for all of us, it's some combination thereof. This is a weary woman. And I love that the story says Jesus meets her and he himself is weary. I think that this is a way of of him saying, look, I know what it's like. He meets a weary woman in his own weariness and then says, yeah, but I can provide what you have always lacked. And what I want to say, church, is, yes, we have been through enormous pain and struggle and grief and all of these things, but I do my own soul and I do you a disservice if I do not continue to say, the only solution here, the only salve, the only healing, the only comfort, the only perseverance that we will find is in Jesus himself. That's who we are. That's what we proclaim as a people. We, I know that it's temptation is to feel like, yeah, but I have an excuse because things have been really hard for me. I have an excuse to go elsewhere, to try this and this and this, and some old comforts, and to try new things. And I don't know if God can really handle this, because isn't he the one who is causing me to go through this? I've asked those questions in these last couple years. And yet there Jesus sits with nail-scarred hands and wounds in his feet, and he says, don't forget I know what it's like. I know, I know. Yeah, my father sent me into a world where I myself suffered, but I suffered so that you might have comfort and healing and not be alone anymore in your suffering. That's what suffering does. It isolates us. It makes us think I'm the only one going through what I'm going through. That's the message so often of suffering. I'm the only one, right? And it isolates us. That's what's happened to this woman. Do you realize that? That's why she's alone. That's why she's sneaking off at the hottest part of the day. You don't go draw well water at the hottest part of the day. Do you know why? Because one, it's much harder to carry it, and two, it's probably a little bit more tepid than what you want, as opposed to after a night of coolness, right? She shouldn't be going there when she is. Why is she? Because this suffering has isolated her. It's made her think, no one sees me in this, and no one's capable of meeting me in this place. No one can actually solve my problem, so it's gotta be up to me. So I'm gonna try it alone. And there Jesus sits. And he says, no, no, no. I have what you long for. I have grace and forgiveness and healing, and I can cleanse you, and I can bind up your wounds, and I can give you a hope of a future. I can give you a community of people We'll call you brothers and sisters because they're also forgiven sinners, wounded healers. I can surround you with a community. That's where we see this story go. She has this encounter, and she goes from isolation to basically planting the first church in her town. She goes back, she's like, come see a man who told me all that I ever did, which I've said before from this pulpit is a weird thing for her to say, because what she ever did is precisely what she's hiding from. What is she saying there? She's saying, he told me all that I ever did, and yet he still chose me. He still loves me. He knew it all, and yet he welcomed me in. This is who Jesus is. It's what we want our community to be about. It's not just to stop it. Yes, this world is full of barriers. Yes, this world is full of brokenness and pain and things between peoples and lack of reconciliation, all of these things. We want to acknowledge those and then we want to say, yeah, but we have one who is able to not in spite of those things, but often precisely through and because of those things to work his grace and goodness in this world. And we want to participate with him in that, however we can. So we want to be a church that's known for breaking barriers to encounter Jesus. That we talk, you know what that means? It means we talk about stuff that sometimes we're not supposed to talk about. Where we feel like we're not supposed to talk about as Christians. Like, yo, y'all went there? Yeah, we go there. Because these things are real. Hurt and pain and grief is Real. Injustice and oppression, is real, so we're gonna talk about it. But we're not gonna talk about it just talk about it and sit and dwell in it. We're gonna talk about, yeah, but what is the one who, if we encounter him, can change it all? What does he have to say about it? What does this have to do with Jesus, right? Always moving toward Jesus. We're breaking barriers because we're going somewhere. We're going to him is who we wanna be about, ultimately. Amen? I hope that's why you're here. <laughs> if you're not. Here's a phrase that's gone around our church uh, over the last year or so, it's it's two simple words. Pam, go to that next slide. Begin again. Uh, I talked about this last year, right here on Vision Sunday. Is this has felt like a season in which we are constantly being asked, all around us, but I think primarily by God. If we can hear His voice through it all, then it really actually matters and takes on life. We're being asked to begin again. Right? I feel like I just want to say. I look around and I'm like, I can't think of hardly anyone who doesn't have some version of this in your life right now, whether because of what you've gone through, whether because of massive changes in your life, whether because of stuff you've been through relationally, whatever it is, there is this difficult reality that at some point we got to either choose to mail it in or choose to say, okay, God, I choose to begin again. Right, the example that I used was Job, that, that the, the book of Job is this man who goes through profound suffering, and sometimes we wrongly think of the end of that book as this happy ending where everything is restored to him. No, it ain't. His kids are still dead. He's still lost all of the wealth that he had previously. But there's something that allows him to make a choice, because by the end of the story, he's got a family again. He's got a business again, Right? And just taking those two, at some point, he looks at his wife, who was not exactly the most helpful through everything that he went through, and he says to her, hey, I think think we need to start over. I think we need to to think about what it would look like to start over. He goes to the local bank, and he says, yeah, I'm the guy who lost everything. I'm the guy who had that weird thing where all the natural disasters seem very targeted at my, you know, farm or whatever, and like, I'm that guy. Will you take a risk on me? Can I have, you know, one goat as a loan? He makes all of these choices to begin again. What happens? What happens is he has a life-changing encounter with the living God, who in so many words says to him, I know that you experience this world as chaotic and meaningless at times, but I am telling you, first, I know that that's what it's like, experienced on your side of it, but it does not mean that these things are out of my control or keep my purposes and ultimate will from being done, and I'm still good. And Job makes a bold choice to say, it's either that or nothingness. So I choose to trust God again, and I choose to begin again. And I hope we keep saying that in our community a lot, because that's going to be paced out again differently for some of us. Some of us are ready to go. Some of us are like, yeah, I've processed all of the things, right? I love working from home or whatever, right? Like new beginnings, all of this stuff, right? Some of you are still in it. You're going, I don't know. I don't know if I have it. There's an invitation here from God to say, what if you knew he saw you in what you're going through? What if you knew his scars say, yeah, I know what it's like. I've been weary. I've been exhausted. And then what if he was still good? What if he was still good? What if those very scars spoke to his ultimate, eternal, non-negotiable, everlasting, uncompromising, unconditional love for you? So, where are we headed this year? Let's talk through uh, our three, this is something that we do every year, our three strategic priorities as a community, as we seek to live out these realities um, of who we wanna be, of where we are headed. And so go to that next slide. Our first strategic priority is this thing you've been hearing a lot about, which is uh, we are going to create these things called care groups. And probably what comes into your mind is a little bit right and a little bit inaccurate for what these are gonna be. So let me walk you through it. And I think, I couldn't think of a better way to put this, even as we were talking to potential leaders and all that this summer, probably the the best way to wrap your head around this is to compare it to what a lot of churches do and what this very church did for many years. And so go to that next slide, Pam. So this is is your sort of classic small group model. For us, this was what missional communities Woot if you were ever in a missional community. There you go. <laughs> I don't know why I had you do that. Um but I'm, I guess I'm trying to get a feel for how many of you have experienced this. So the idea of missional community is that all of these essential things that the scriptures called Christians to do existed within your small group. So it was your community. It was your group of friends. It was your way of, of feeling involved in the church. Yeah, there's familiar faces to me. It was the way that you were cared for. There was a sense in which, you know, you have a baby, you're in the hospital, whatever. Um, these are the people that are likely going to care for you, it was where discipleship happened. You know, there were times where we did sermon questions or different ways to actually build into you and help you grow and mature as a Christian. Uh, Service opportunities, it it was a way to connect to your local community and you were supposed to have a a service project that was uh, something that your community would engage in. And then it was also to be a place where you could have some overlap with non-Christians, with friends and neighbors and all that, it it could be a place where they could come, right? That's sort of your ideal, read a book about missional communities and it's it's wonderful. I don't even wanna say it sounds wonderful, it is wonderful, that's why a lot of churches do it. It's a model that makes a ton of sense it didn't work so well for us. It just didn't go well, right? Um, give me a woot if you agree. No, just kidding. Um, but it, it, just, it, it, was a, it was always a big struggle for us to pull off this missional community thing. The model that we're going to, which I'm calling Jacobswell 3.0, if you think of sort of church planting phase as, uh, as 1.0 and then kind of like everything before COVID um, as kind of 2.0, right? Community care groups, the the way that we're doing things, discipleship course being introduced. This is now coming out of all of the disruption of these last couple years. I'm thinking of this as Jacobswell 3.0. What we're trying to do is to still do all those things, because we believe that's those are the kinds of things that a church exists for. We're just trying to put them Um, in spheres that make a little bit more sense for some of the realities of what it means to be a church in central New Jersey and in our context. And so the idea of Jacobswell 3.0 is there will be a place where community happens, where discipleship happens, where care happens, where evangelism happens, and where service happens and so right now if you think about this with the exception of evangelism which I'll actually talk about in just a couple minutes all of these have literal teams that are functioning to help our church accomplish this right we've had a care team we have a service team pastor minoja's team the discipleship team that a bunch of you are a part of that all of you um well most of you unless you're new new have experienced discipleship here and then uh community the way that we've been doing community meals and all that stuff all right next slide Okay, I know you might not be able to see this, but um, what's great about the missional community model is everything's integrated. Everything, there's overlap to all of those things, right? Like, this is what makes that an attractive model. It's like, I kind of want to do service with the people who I'm also growing and maturing in faith, and I want those to be the people who show up when I'm going through something hard, and it'd be really cool for those to be the people who also get to know my non-Christian friends a lot, right? Like, that's, that's a good thing. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. In some ways, that's like the... Um, Whatever, the ever elusive thing about New Jersey, right, is trying to find that overlap. Also the longevity of relationships in these is is another great thing when missional communities are going well. There's two things though that I think made that model really difficult for us. One, it asks a lot of leaders is your leaders end up needing to lead and give energy and push all of that stuff forward. And even when we would try like sub-leaders, so it would be like you would have your mission community leaders, but then maybe you had service leaders. It's like, y'all know how that is. If you have many people leading, no one's leading. It would still ultimately fall on just those couple people who are leading missional communities. So I would say the biggest feedback that we would always get about missional communities back in the day were it's just a lot. And we would burn out leaders and we'd constantly be going through leaders. The other thing, and this is more contextual, that makes that model really difficult is, um, have you guys found this out? People don't stay in New Jersey, right? Um, Is that model works when there's sort of this slow build over time. When you launch a missional community, and then by the end of that year, half the people in your missional community have moved, it can make that experience really frustrating. Or when you feel like, hey, we're going to go super deep and be, you know, do life together and you get two years into that and it's like, yeah, but also, you know, we got a job offer in wherever, right? That can be like, oh, and it takes the steam out of that model. We experience that a lot, y'all. Okay. Why am I telling you all this? It's not to bag on missional community. Missional community is a wonderful thing. We were deep believers in it. It's because this is the question that I get the most about the model that we're is Why don't we just do all of this together? Wouldn't it make more sense if we just split the church into 14 groups and we could just do all this stuff all together? It's like, yeah, we've done that. We've tried that and it didn't work. Here's what we hope, and by the way, this might shock you, this model was not like handed to us by God, right? Like This is us trying to do our best to discern what is and isn't working and then having a lot of voices give input to, hey, we feel like this might be what makes sense. And so this is what we feel like makes sense, is one, by creating spheres for these, it means that leadership is truly shared, right? Like if I'm on the discipleship team and I'm leading a discipleship course on a given night, I don't feel the burden to say, yeah, but where are these people going to do local community service kind of stuff together, right? It's not my responsibility. Same, same way on the other side, Pastor Minoj and his team on the service side don't have to be asking, yeah, but how are we gonna grow and mature people in their own walk with Jesus and in their own growth into Christ-likeness, right? It allows leaders to do what they feel called to do, what they feel equipped to do, and just that thing in a really concentrated way. The other thing that we hope here is that while there isn't that beautiful, holistic integration, we do hope that you'll begin to see overlap in these spheres. So maybe someone that you're sitting at a discipleship course table with does end up in your care group. Maybe someone who's in your care group ends up being someone that you serve at Elijah's Promise with. Maybe someone who, right? That's what we're hoping is that this does continue to provide opportunities for overlap. And by the way, by overlap, also what I mean is, because this is something that we hear a lot. Some of y'all have been here for a minute, like for like 10 years. And one of the things that you say is, there's a lot of people who have been here for 10 years. A lot of us haven't had the opportunity to get to know one another because we're often clustered off in these these groups. What we're hoping is that this model also allows those of you who will be around for a long time, God bless you, um, to, to have that kind of overlap such that you say, oh yeah, I got to know that person through our Service. I got to know that person in discipleship. I got to know that person at community meal, right? We're hoping that it does provide because a lot of this is just much broader rather than sort of segmented out into groups. Uh, Yeah, lack of relational, that's the negative is that that uh, longevity doesn't come in one sphere. Okay, keep going. Next up. Okay, so what are care groups? Care groups are, um, they're gonna exist for mutual care. That's the big thing, bearing burdens together right? Like one of the things that you may notice if you've done discipleship course for any amount of time is we don't take like a half hour at the end to say, like, let's just go around here how each other's doing. What's really going on in each other's lives? How can we pray for each other, right? Like this is feedback that we've gotten. It's like, where does that happen? Where's that going to happen in church? That's what your care group is for. It's also meant to provide sort of a tribe within a tribe. This is language that sort of popped up as we've been talking is, Yeah, it's nice to look around and have a lot of familiar faces. It's also nice to have a bunch of people that you feel like, yeah, those are my people within the larger people of the church. So we hope that this provides a little bit of that. They are going to remain multi-ethnic and multi-generational because that's a huge commitment that we have as a community. Which comes to this fourth one. Okay. There's two massive changes to these for anyone who has been around for any of the other models we've ever done, whether missional community or the artists formerly known as community care groups, Um, which, by the way, were happening for six months and then COVID hit. And so thank you, COVID. Um, But CCGs, we feel like, did did a a lot of this. Here are the two major changes, though. One, there's only going to be four of these puppies for the whole church, okay? So instead of... So instead of smaller, small groups, the idea of tribe within a tribe, we still feel like we're at a good size, where even your tribe within a tribe should remain, um, should remain a group of people that you can actually get to know. And so we have, the number that we're working off of, um, is we have about 90 to 100 of you who, who do discipleship course, right? And we get why students don't do that and all that. Stuff. So that's kind of the number that we're working with here. So if you think of four of these, you know, that's in that 20 to 25 range, <clears throat> we've, still feel like is a good group of people. Um, So there's only going to be four of these, even though all y'all are expected to do it, okay? So four of them. The other thing that we're doing differently, and this is, whew, it's a big change at Jacob's Well, is uh, we're going to allow you to choose which one you're in, okay? Because here's what we've done. Here's what we've always done, is we've kind of, quite literally, we have looked at a map of our church, and we've put little pins where all y'all live, and then we draw circles around them. We say, okay, this will be the, you know, East Brunswick group. This will be the Somerset, Somerville group. This will be the, you know, Woodbridge group or whatever it is, right? One of the funky things about living in central New Jersey for any amount of time is you know that relationships don't necessarily, though, map to geography. Can I get an amen? Right, do some of y'all, like, like, you know, commute to your friend's house um, like for a casual hang or you pass one target to go to another one because you like how that one does their little dollar section or whatever, right? Like, <laughs> Jersey Jersey people were willing to travel to a certain extent, right? Um, and, and for relationship especially, we are willing to travel. And so we said, and the we there was uh, on the elder tree, we said, can you imagine if what we could actually do, this would be creepy because it would mean we are really socially engineering you, but if we could map the church relationally and then draw circles around that relational map in a way that made sense with our multi-ethnic and multi-generational commitment, in a way that still preserved that but also preserve the reality that some of y'all are, are good friends and some of y'all are just starting some relationships that if you just had a little bit more context for them and maybe a little training for what a distinctly Christian version of that relationship might look like, you could really flourish. Rather than just saying, oh, you happen to live 10 minutes from this person, therefore, you know, you guys have to figure out how to care well for one another. This is another reason why we're just doing four of them is because we feel like in order to maintain that multi-ethnic, multi-generational, we're gonna need... A lot of people in each of these, but also we hope that by not sending you with just six other people or whatever, you're gonna be able to look around and say, yeah, I got some people. I got some real people in this. Tracking? Okay, let's keep going. What's the next slide? I have no idea. Oh, here are your leaders. Okay, here, here I just slipped. These are not leaders. Here's the most important thing. Um, it's good. We are calling these care group coordinators. Ah, you're all reading the names. I'll let you read the names. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's a group of people that I'm very excited about. Okay, two things about these these folks. One, they are care group coordinators. This is the language that you, we've been using in all of the conversations around this that will continue To use as we train and and coach these folks is we don't want the mindset of these to be we are giving 20 of y'all two people to care for you we're giving 20 of you two people to care for you instead we want the mindset to be 20 of y'all are supposed to care for 20 of y'all these two people are coordinating that care the sort of image metaphor that we've given these folks for the type of leadership that they're to exercise in these is that of a 911 dispatcher. It's a little bit of a dark image. But, um, right, a nine, when, when you call a 911 dispatcher, what you don't expect is for that person themselves to come, right? That would be a strange way for that person to fulfill your need, right? Like, you don't want that, believe me. Instead, what that person does is that they know the resources at their disposal that can care for the need that you have. Right? And then maybe their thing is to check in and make sure that that need is being met. So laying aside the, the weirdness of that image, that's the image that we've been giving is, or is maybe think of it like a uh, taxi dispatcher, right? Like we'll think of that, that's a less dark image. So a taxi dispatcher, right? They're not like you know Nicole calls and she's like, hi, I need a ride to Rutgers or whatever. And I'm like, I'll be right over. right Like no, I'm like, hey, is anybody in such and such area? Who can say And they say, yeah, I got it right. That's supposed to be the mindset here is these are not to be people who we burn out because suddenly they're responsible for the needs of 18 other people. It's them growing in their understanding of what's present in that group, of the relationships that are in that group, and then coordinating and saying, hey, you know, whatever. Hey, Melly, I know that, that you and Nicole are close. Nicole has a current need, Melly, could, could you meet that? Hey, boom, and they do that, okay? Dispatchers, two for 20 versus 20 for 20, right, 20 for 20. Okay, now now we want you to meet these folks. Roll video. (laughs) Hi everybody, my name is Jalen. And I'm Beena Thomas. And we are extremely excited to be launching our new care group model for the church that you just heard Pastor Scott talk about. And Beena, why are you excited about that? I'm excited about care groups. Uh, As I see and envision the heart behind this group is primarily to be present, to listen, to understand, and care for the needs of the people at Jacob's Hall And we cannot wait to launch into doing this work with you. And now we want to introduce our new care group coordinators who are going to be responsible for coordinating that care. Here they are. Hi, guys. My name is Andy. Um, a fun fact about me, I came face-to-face with a bear this winter in the woods. <laughs> I am Allison Stowell, um, and... My fun fact, what I love about New Jersey are the seasons. Growing up in Florida in eternal summer, I just really value the seasons that New Jersey offers. Our first care group meeting will be October 23rd. And our December meeting will be December 11th. We're looking forward to seeing you guys there. My name is Eve Barris, and a fun fact about me is that before I learned to play the drums, I learned six other instruments. I'm Toby Bolig, and a fun fact about me is I am terrible at going up uh, stairs, but I do get a little bit better uh, if I go faster. Our care group will be (laughs) on October 9th and December 11th from 5 to 7 p.m., and the location is TBD, but will be produced down below by Movie Magic, courtesy of Mark. Hi, I'm Christy McInerney, and a fun fact about me is that I absolutely love New Jersey because of all of the great beaches. Cape May is one of my favorite beaches. Hi, I'm Dean Mackey, and I live in East Brunswick, which is significantly different uh, than the the town of 600 people I grew up in, in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, and I love the options I have to do a bunch of different things. Uh, with very little travel so both of our families are going to be care group coordinators john and i will be hosting our first group meeting on october 8th from 5 to 7 in freehold and dean and kathleen will be hosting our second meeting on december 4th from 5 to 7 in east brunswick Hello, Jacob as well. My name is Marcos Guevara. I love the outdoors, and if I could, I would live outside. Uh, I'd like to come join you with my family. That'd be kind of fun. Uh, Hi, everybody. My name is Rachel Palmer. Uh, fun fact about me, four kids. Me and my husband have four kids. Um, and for us, this will be year 10 of homeschooling. hey uh, We will be meeting here uh, on October 1st at 5 PM. And then again in December, time and location yet to be determined, but we'll keep you posted. You can clap, go ahead. Yes, transference of information, yeah. What a wonderful group of people. Uh, Two things to note there. One is the reason why Jalen Baker and Bina Thomas introduced that video is they will be directing this whole thing. Uh, They will be our directors of care. Moving forward, this will become uh, a huge part of Jalen's responsibilities in his current role, and and Bina's just the best. And so we're excited about them. So they're going to be caring for the coordinators um, and coaching them and helping them solve problems. Second thing that you may have noticed there is that everybody talked about in, don't look yet, everybody talked about in October, and a December date. Our goal this year um, is is to do these every other month. That's our mindset heading in, which means six times this year. Your first reaction to that might be like, oh, is that enough? What we have learned is we would rather launch something small have it be great, and then say, if we want to do more, let's do more, rather than launching something hyper-aggressive and then being like, ooh, I think we killed it by just doing it too often. So these are going to be every other month, um, so that should be your mindset six times this upcoming year. The other thing that we felt like would be helpful is because these are not geographically based, um, and even the leaders themselves are kind of, sort of, close geographically, but some of them, um, even they don't live particularly close, um, we felt like providing uh, more ways of maybe deciding where you're gonna land would be helpful to you. And so we've pre-populated each of these care groups, um, also with an elder and their family, and also a staff member um, and, so, uh, and their families. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can see these, but like Christy and Deans will have Obed, uh, the Aviles family, and, and the Radanovichs with them. Allison and Andes uh, will have uh, Minoj and Bina, as well as uh, the Suarezes and the Tippins. Marcos and Rachel will have the Lynn's with them and the Fishers with them. Toby and Eve will have myself and my family and also Jalen uh, will be in that one. So if that's helpful. Here's the idea, go to the next slide. From this moment forward, there will be a banner on the website that looks exactly like this. It's up It's up right now? Yeah? It's up right now. Here's the idea, guys, is between now and next Sunday, talk to your friends, <laughs> send the texts, call, uh, ask questions, if, if that's going to be helpful, and decide which one you're going to be in. And then once you know which one you're going to be in, go ahead and populate this. The, the sooner that you do this form, so this is a simple form that's going to say, Uh, all the information on that last slide. So who's in it, the elder and staff, families, also where those first couple meetings are gonna be if that's helpful to you to decide. Go ahead and fill that form out. You only need to do that uh, once for your family. This isn't like discipleship course where we ask you to to everybody sign up. Uh, Just once for your family. We'll assume that if one of you up, you're going to go to the same care group. That would be good and healthy. Um, and so uh, so just one per family. Uh, and then next Sunday, what we're going to do, we're literally calling it Care Group Sunday. Next Sunday, we will give you an opportunity to meet in your care groups here at the 27th. So we'll have a normal-ish gathering, uh, a briefer gathering. But the big thing, will be launching you into these so that you can hear from your coordinators, so that um, they can tell you sort of, hey, here's the plan for those first couple meetings. And then after that time where you know, picture one group will be in here, one group will be in, you know, kids room or, or connect room or whatever, right? Then we will have that meal together. So we'll all be together as well, um, which leads my mind to say, um, that's kind of the mindset is that, so in September, right, we're doing a meal together, kind of a community meal, but it's not potluck. So it's a little bit different, but we'll do a meal. October, we'll be care group. November, we'll do community meal, December we'll do care group and on and on it goes that'll be the rhythm so there'll be that one opportunity every month to be together as a church and then one opportunity to be in your care groups the sooner you can sign up for these the more you're just helping those coordinators because they, they're gonna have a lot um, on their plate next Sunday so as soon as you know that just go ahead jump in and sign up um, so yeah there should be texts going back and forth there should be conversations uh, this week so that we're ready to go over next week cool Cool, great. They all said it. Okay, um, Morgan, am I leaving anything out about care groups? One group, y'all. This ain't a this ain't a buffet. This ain't a taste them and ooh, that group was rough. No, no. no. You're um, you're choosing your group and you're going to that group. Cool. Yes, one per. Thank you, Morgan. Okay, we have two other uh, strategic priorities that will not take us long. <laughs> um, so our other two priorities uh, this year are catalyze evangelism. Um, for, uh, for as long as I've been in this role, uh, every year it comes up that something that we're just not strong in is evangelism as a church, is in seeing non-Christians come into our community you know, whether just be in our community, uh, which, which we would love or, or actually put their faith in Jesus and we baptize them, it's just not something that we're strong in. So this year we want to start taking steps um, to, to train us, to equip us in that, and to provide even some context where that might happen. So there's two primary ways that this is going to show up this coming year. One, uh, next slide, Pam. One is that in the spring, one of the 201s in discipleship course um, will be an evangelism training, which I hope will be. I think the biggest thing that keeps us from this is we have most of us one and and one only image of evangelism, which is oh no. You're going to go make me stand in the middle of New Brunswick and shout who wants to hear the good news, right? Like, um, we've got to get out of that. Not not that that's completely ineffective. There's some people called to that, I'm sure. But we've got to have other categories for what it means to be people who take seriously the great commission that Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Um, We've got to figure out how to participate in that individually and corporately as a church. And so that's what that uh, spring discipleship course will be on. And then we're going to launch... um, Some of you might be familiar with Alpha. Alpha is this sort of global program that people love, um, that a lot of the churches that we look to use as, uh, what Alpha is, it's like, the lowest barrier of entry to spiritual conversations. And so it's getting a bunch of people that you know and saying, hey, would you guys like to have a conversation around what we all believe because that's weird to do on, you know, whatever, a Thursday night over beers or whatever. Like, is that a contact? And this provides you just a platform to have that conversation to say, yeah, what do you believe life is for? What do you believe? And then it slowly, not in a bait and switch way, it's very gently done, it moves toward, hey, like we're doing this because we're Christians and, you know, we, we have certain responses to that. We're kind of figuring out, Rach and I, so Rach is our director of equipping and, and has spent a lot of the summer kind of getting familiar with Alpha, as we kind of always do because we're obnoxious. Like, we'll probably sort of yeah, make it a little bit more Jersey, um, frankly, and uh, you know, more skeptical of all the things. And so, um, so we'll, we'll, but here's the idea. We do the training in the spring and then the idea would be to train some of y'all in this coming out of that for the summer and then launching that next year um, and actually having what other churches would call alpha groups meeting where we know that people are being engaged who, uh, who aren't Christians. So really excited about that. feel like we've got to take a step forward in that. The last one here, um, we're calling, do you notice the three C's when it pops up? Look at that. Create care groups. Catalyze evangelism. Clarify. Seeking justice and mercy. For probably the past three or four years, one of our big moves, one of our big emphases, priorities as a church has been really clarifying what we mean by life in multi-ethnic community. And so if you've been around, you've heard sermon series on this, it's It's huge in in discipleship, both 101 and 201 in the in the social slice of the pie we talk a lot about that. It's part of how we do leadership training here and all of that. And we really felt like we needed a clear theology behind our commitment to multi-ethnic community. and then also a praxis. Where does this stuff live in our church? right Last week, Jalen powerfully preached like we can say all day long that we're oh, we love this, we love multi-ethnic community, but if there's not actually boots on the ground, like where does this show up in your community, then we're just giving it lip service. And so we worked really hard, Um, again, this was one of Jalen's big responsibilities over uh, over the last year, is to help develop that theology and praxis, and we feel like we've arrived at a point where there's pretty strong unity and clarity around those things. The one core identity that we feel like remains lacking in its clarity is seeking justice and mercy. Again, if you've been here a long time, you probably have, I've actually asked this around for those of you who, who have been around a little bit, like what does that one mean to you? And maybe it's vaguely like, eh, we do community service or some vague notion of like, yeah, we care about that stuff. We, we really feel like similarly, we've got to begin to have some clarity around our theology of this because right now a word like justice is very buzzy in the world, in culture, and then also within the church. That can mean, huh, oh, right? Like, what do they mean by that, right? Like, so we need a clear theology around that. And then we also need, uh, how do we live that out? What's our praxis? Praxis, by the way, is a very fancy word for how you live something out practically. And so, theology and praxis around that. And so, the elders um, have been doing uh, some reading around this, some conversation around this. Uh, Jalen's been, and uh, with uh, sort of we've been teaming up on this is, is to uh, figure out um, what this looks like for the staff, and Jaylee's been doing great stuff with the staff to foment conversation here. And so um, the way that this is gonna be expressed this coming year, go to that next slide, is actually in the fall, so this upcoming, the one that's about to launch in just a couple weeks, which you'll be hearing a lot more about in the next two weeks, um, the fall semester of Discipleship Course, Jalen and Rachel are going to be leading a training around this. Um, and so sharing some of the theology that we've begun to um, really resonate with as, as leaders, and then also offer, hey, here are some of the ways that, that the church is starting to figure out how to live this out, and here's what makes make sense for us. And so really excited for many of you to be able to, um, to be part of that and be part of uh, learning on that and conversation around that. And then also, um, this is something that uh, I'm really proud of because I haven't been the one primarily driving it, but um, Pastor Minoj and his service team has just done a wonderful job over the last year, really two years, of finding us some partners that make sense who can really again kind of put boots on the ground to our commitment. Um, to care about injustice that's directly around us. And so even, even that team's goal is that while we develop a couple longer-term deep partnerships, we also are gonna provide opportunities every single month. You'll see either Pastor Noj or, or you know Rachel and, and Jalen announcing opportunities for, for us to actually put our hands to, to, to the work of justice um, in and around this area. And so instead of just talking about it theologically, actually having platforms, where we can live this stuff out. And so um, these last two, the evangelism and the clarifying, seeking, so just and birth, you're gonna hear a lot more of that in an ongoing way. The care groups, I gave more emphasis because that's the thing that's sort of immediately launching. And so, um, but all equally uh, important. And it's worth saying, where do these come from? Just so you know, they come from um, getting a lot of input on the front end of what we call a strategic planning process that starts in about February, getting a lot of input from leaders at various levels, um, the staff, and then also any of you who are serving in sort of director roles, um, what we now call the Leadership Collective, which you'll hear a lot about this year, which we're very excited about, but we get input on the front end there, um, and then the elders take that and we pray through that, provide our own input where we feel like the church is at, and then begin to develop some idea of where we might be headed. Then with the staff, we remain in conversation. And then the, sort of the finalizing of that process is the elders go away for an overnight retreat. And we pray through these things. We talk through them at length and, and kind of come back from that with, hey, we feel like this is where God would really have us focus this coming year. And so this is, uh, this is hardly sort of me like, I woke up late last night. <laughs> like I think this is what we should do. Um, like This is a, a very significant um, and, uh, and, and rightly labored process that we go through to arrive at this point. So here's what we've got upcoming. Um, There you go. Just put that in your calendar. Um, But yeah, here are some of the things. Care Group Sunday will be next week. Connections lunch uh, was announced this morning. Discipleship course, this is a date you probably want. Uh, That launches September uh, 28th. Um, And then this year, we're going to do a Sunday morning 201 offering. Okay, for those of you who, who have been through all of the core curriculum, um, we are going to do a Sunday, we feel like we've heard from enough of you who just feel like, man, the Wednesday thing just doesn't work. We want to provide an opportunity for you to do that on Sunday, so there will be that, family dedication, all that, pretty much everything else you'll hear um, in coming weeks. This, in a much prettier format, uh, is available out in the lobby. We have Save the Dates. We have Jacobsville like fall semester, Save the Dates. And so grab one of those on your way out. If you're staying for the members meeting, we'll actually hand those out, so you'll get one. Um, but if you won't be at that, go ahead and grab one of those. At the bottom there, you see TBD Men's Retreat. We're hoping to pull off a men's retreat like we used to do back in the day. Um, men's retreat in the fall, women's retreat in the spring, and then uh, maybe a, a women's event, some kind of one or during the fall, and then a one-dare for the men in the spring, Um, and so you'll, again, you'll hear more about that as we figure out if we can even pull that off, Um, but we'll do something, men's and women's, uh, once a a semester, so. If you have questions, um, I'm not taking questions now, but like in the members' meeting, you can ask questions, or you can just find ways. Uh, Info at jacobswellandj.org is always the place to ask questions, Um, last but not least, we don't just do uh, this every week. We do uh, preach through the Bible, and that is our, our main thing. Um, we're people of the word here. And so our full series is going to be the Ten Commandments. We're going to walk through the Ten Commandments. Whoa. Wow. What an interesting response. Wow. I wish I could have captured that, and we would just play that as the bump video. <laughs> be like, the Ten Commandments. Oh! Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay uh worship team come back up uh i'm going to transition us now to uh to communion look we're